the Culture Guy Podcast. New episode, first one in June. Today with a guest from New York City. However, that's not the place that he grew up in. Welcome back to a new episode of the Culture Guy podcast. Thanks for being on this program. Thanks for being um, true and dedicated listeners of this program. Today I have um, the pleasure of talking to one of the most outspoken or well-known so-called third culture kids. His name is Tayo Roxon. He currently resides in New York City and he grew up in Africa and around there and he spent time in other countries. So he's been all over the place as a child of a diplomat. So he's got quite the entertaining and interesting story. All right, so without further ado, let's get to it. And here we are today with Tayo Roxon, media executive from New York, maybe not from New York, but currently in New York. And most of you may be familiar with him as the kind of TCK third culture kid rock star in the millennial generation. Tayo, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kristen. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and um, very kind words from you, honestly. And I'm um, excited to be on the show. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, so, would you feel opposed to being called that? The, the, the poster child millennial TCK? Is, isn't that how people view you nowadays? It, it does seem to be. And I, I don't know. I've never really been comfortable with uh, <laughs> compliments. So, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always like, ah, but I mean, it, it tends to be what people tend to relate me to. Um, I think, you know, when I first started really focusing and, and pursuing media, a lot of what I talked about was the fact that, I, that I'm a TCK and that I view the world from a different lens and that I, in my opinion, the best way to build the next set of global leaders would be to truly communicate across cultures. Right. And, and I felt that, the, yeah. So I felt that the background of being a TCK allowed me to see the world in different lenses and using that background I just sort of you know produced stories whether it's my podcast or wrote about why I think we need to tear down the um, Berlin walls that exist today mm-hmm. so yeah I, I did that I did that a lot and it, that's what I, I tend to get um, latched onto my name so yes <laughs> I, I, I like the fact that you're trying to tear down walls um, and since you're referring to the Berlin Wall you you, you know how to speak to me. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm, 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 a, I'm a big advocate of tearing down walls. As, as people who, who work with me know that I'm, I'm a fan of bridges, not of walls. And, and who, whoever thinks that walls are the solution are, are just creating a market for those who build ladders to get over them. 
Exactly. Um, exactly. So, for those of our listeners who may not be too familiar with the term or the acronym TCK, Third Culture Kid, how would you define it for yourself? Sure. So, a TCK, like you said, is an acronym for Third Culture Kid. And it essentially refers to individuals that spent the formative periods of their lives outside of the parents' cultures. Now, you see this with missionary kids. You see this with, you know, diplomatic kids, in my case, army brats, or people that just tend to have parents that traveled all over the world. And the formative periods for me, you know, being 10 to 16, I, you know, I I was in Burkina Faso, Nigeria. And um, when I was 17, I was in Vietnam. And it, it was just constant, you know, travel and being outside of my parents' cultures, which is Nigeria. So mm-hmm. we tend to have many homes. <laughs> so your, your your birth passport and your parents' passport is Nigerian then? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, okay. my passport country is Nigeria. Yeah. And do you carry more than one passport today? No, I'm not cool enough for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not cool enough for that. I, I, I do have the uh, the Nigerian visa. What's been happening since I was 17 in, uh, in the States it's it's been an interesting journey of visas. You know, I've gone through the student visa, the work visa, then back to student visa. And now I'm currently working on another type of work visa. So it, it's it's been paperwork, <laughs> yeah, to say the least. At least, but it, it's um it's been all visas uh, that has kept me in every country that I've stayed in. And m- most most people around the world who travel for work view this visa thing or this this paperwork stuff the bureaucracy around changing countries as as something that may be uh forced upon them by foreign governments as somebody with your background who's traveled so much since childhood i i think you would you agree that it's just a nuisance it's just it's just a, a an, an arbitrary boundary that is being put up by well, maybe by governments or by people who are not prone to what it feels like to be global. Well, it, it's hard not to see it that way, just because I, I've I've had you know I mean for one of the processes I've you know I had to do I think thirteen or fourteen recommendation letters and get that. But what I've learned is I you know I, I really can't focus on on what I can't control because it it starts to get really frustrating if you start to think about it. So I, I just sort of just understand and I've programmed my mindset to to just work. Like, fine, this is going to take X amount of time. This is the amount of hours I'm going to put in. And there's nothing I can do about it. And it's just part of the process. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking at it from the outside, of yes. Whenever I explain to other people, they, they usually have gas. They react with gasps and like, what? No. But I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just been kind of a way of life. I just sort of accepted it. I don't. You know, I don't think much about it. I do wish it was easier, but then, on the end, I know, especially since nine eleven, um, things got stricter, and yeah. I, I can respect why yeah. why that would be that would be the case. You know, you want to make sure you're you're aware of you know people coming in the country, but. Yeah, I, not for us. I, I don't know who said it first, and uh, it, it's kind of a cheesy quote, but I still like the, the the basic message of it. Don't wish it was easier; wish you were better. Um, ooh, ooh yeah. I like that. It, it's like it's that. a tough reality for some of us, so it, it's all right. Um, so now you live in New York and you work in media. For those of you who are not familiar with you, how would you give us a quick uh, elevator pitch? What is it you do? So, <laughs> I have to give a story. Yeah, I hope. Uh, fine, let me do a quick sure, elevator no, pitch. Give us a story. But then I have to. Oh, all right. So the story goes as this: Ever since I was a kid, I've always, you know, been fascinated with with, with media and sports. 
one of the things that I wanted to do was to be I wanted to be a soccer player, a basketball player, a tennis player. Didn't quite pan out. But but when I was a kid, I I I would be the the kid that would watch the Oprah Winfrey show. I would love I you know, that would be my it would be my rotation when I was watching Disney, Nickelodeon and then Oprah Winfrey show. And the reason I was fascinated with her show is because I was in Burkina Faso at the time and I resonated with the stories that she was telling. I could see the best version of myself through that. And I was fascinated by the idea of an American lady in Chicago, in a Chicago studio, reaching me as a 10, 11, 12-year-old in Burkina Faso in an American international school. I was like, how am I connecting across this? And, and, and I've been fascinated with that. So I was like, I want to be able to do the same thing, tell stories. And my other role model is the late Nelson Mandela. I, I love the fact that he you know, fought through uh, his 27 years in jail and brought the country together and became this voice for unity. So the, the two elements of those things were using media and bringing people together. Now, uh, I, I thought about that, but I couldn't figure out quite the right path. I thought I'll be a diplomat like my dad. Didn't work. I was like, nope, that's not me. Thought I'll be a lawyer. Thought I'll be in marketing. So I went through several career changes, and they all never quite felt real. And I think, um, uh, you know, it wasn't until I, I had a series of events happen to me in, in Virginia when I graduated that I decided to really take the leap and go back to my 10-year-old self, which really loved media and what Oprah did. So when I was um, – and, and the series of events were – one was I woke up one day um, after, you know, I graduated and I was working for a company that I wasn't quite keen on. I, I woke up one day in cold sweats, and I, I just remember saying to myself that, that I can't believe this is the next 60 years of my life. You know, I was like, yes. I, I, I basically sold out. I was like, wow, I thought I was going to be changing the world, and I'm not doing that. I'm doing something that I hate. And then that was the first seed that, plant, that got planted. The second thing that happened was I, I went to see my mentor in New York City to watch a basketball game, and I remember feeling alive like I've never felt before. Maybe probably not, probably not until since I was 15 and when I went to New York City I, I just started having all these inspirational I, my, my curiosity was, was awoken I just felt like you know it's a, it's a city of possibilities it felt like things could happen and I wasn't in a sleepy town so something kept nudging at me so that was another seed planted and then the third seed that really kicked me out was when I was driving back to the same place of work that I wasn't keen on and all of a sudden my lane cuts in half and that's because this car had swerved into it and I lost control of my car. So here I was spinning all over all over the, the highway and hitting the left guardrail and then the right guardrail. And then I, as soon as I, the car lifts up, I think I, I'm 22 years old and I have not done anything I said I was going to do. And, and and that was the only thing that I could come to mind. I, was, I thought this was it and I really didn't do my life any justice. So... I um, luckily was able to get out of that. It was a three-car accident. Um, my car was totaled, but nothing happened to me miraculously, even though I was the one that was uh, the most affected by it. So I took that as a sign to to really just pursue my, my passions. I, I all of a sudden let go of fear of failure at that moment, and I decided I would move to New York City, which was a city I felt energized in, and I would basically get my MBA and be authentic to myself, which was tell stories that impacted the world. So I started writing and then I, I, I came across this, this blog post from BuzzFeed. It was like 37 signs of a TCK, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah click, clickbait <laughs> lists, right, yeah, yes. Yeah. I kept reading it and then I saw lines like you think in different time zones. People question your English or whatever. Just like all these 
uncanny ways that fully characterized who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, wow, I can really call myself something. I've always said I was something. I just didn't know there was a term for it. So I said TCK. And then I, I you know, another series of events happened. I, I went to um, an Ariane Huffington event because I was fully in New York City and I was basically making New York City my campus. And Ariane Huffington of Huffington Post is media. So I was... Mm-hmm stalking all the media executives exactly I could. I snuck into her event as a blogger because I had her, I had her, her, her um, a ticket to her book tour, but there was an option to be a, a blogger or a, you know, a, just an attendee. Mm-hmm. I just, for some reason, I told the, the people checking in that I was a blogger <laughs> and they're like, oh, fine, go to that line. I was like, yeah, you know what? Cool. <laughs> so, so I started, um, as she was talking, I, she, she made a, she cracked a joke. She said, at one point in her life, she wanted to change her accent because it was too Greek. It was very strong. And somebody told her that she needed um, to just be who she was. And she was joking about it. She says, oh, kids still make fun of her accent now. But I remember that sticking with me. So I wrote the title of my first book. Um, it was just on TCKs. And the ultimate guide to TCK living there and there. I was like, wow, I wonder if there's a platform out there for people that look like they're not supposed to sound and sound like they're not supposed to look. Mm-hmm. And just, just like that, the aha moment was hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that I had something all along that I could tell stories on. I was competing against people that would say I have 20 years of experience in marketing and sales and they were, that's why they were getting interviews. But I couldn't, comp- I couldn't, there was no one else in the world who had 20 years of experience in being me as a TCK. So I started rebranding myself as this third culture kid who was out to make the world a better place and, and have people um, see the world in a wider view of the way it should be by showing how you can connect across cultures through business, culture, and entrepreneurship. And that was, there was no one else doing that. So I launched a podcast called It's Told by Nomads. And it started to gradually take off from there. But all these things didn't happen until I became authentic with who I was, which is as a kid, the thing that I did the most with least amount of effort was talk and listen and try to communicate across cultures. It wasn't me trying to be someone else's definition of success. And then the other thing I needed to do was let go of my fear of failure and just understand that even though in Nigeria, the culture is if you're not a lawyer, doctor, or this, you're not successful, it, it doesn't really apply to me because I am ultimately the best person that I need to be. So I start, yeah, so you can go ahead. I know that's a long, a long no, but story. No, that's but- an amazing story because um, mo- most most people that I've met in my lifetime, and I'm a few years older than you, just just a, two or three maybe. Um, just a few. Just a few. Just a few. <laughs> um, they, they come to that realization much later in life to to drop the fear of failure, um, especially if you're raised in, in, in a more Western context than the, the, uh, the illusion of being perfect or striving for perfection is it makes makes us the, the 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 worst critics of ourselves because we never reach that level of perfection it, it's a it's a vapid illusion in my opinion um and and once you let go of that of that desire to be perfect and once it's okay for you to to fail and to learn from it or as one of my uh, mentors kept telling me there is no failure there's only feedback you only find out what didn't work so that's information that you can use to improve the next step um w- once you come to that uh, realization, most people are a little older than you are. So kudos to you for having had that epiphany and maybe that that near death experience or that fear of of your mortality during that car accident may have may have lit that fire. So that that's great that that you can now share that with your generation and others beyond that. 
Thank you. I, I think there's a, an interesting thing that happens when you face your mortality because you just realize that life is so short and anything can happen in an instant. And that realization for me, what it, it woke up in me was the fact that, you know, here I was doing all the talking that I hope to do, so I hope to do this, but I wasn't acting, right? So I, it just inspired me to do it, to, uh, to just spur into action. And I've failed many times since then, but the process of being a media executive and 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 trying to tell stories through podcasts or through you know what I do with branded you, which is help people pursue their passions. It's it's helped me realize that too many people live in that safe world and are not willing to jump. Oh, yes. and, and like like I yeah, and and like I said, you know the reason as a kid why I loved Oprah and still love Oprah today was the fact that she t- I resonate with a story with stories that she told and I was in several several million miles away and I felt like I could do that. Mm-hmm. And I look at the world today and I'm always wondering about the best ways to 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 get the right message across. Which like you and I believe, communicating across cultures is key. You know we're in a very high strong political landscape right now in the u.s and you can see you know some of that play out yes. you know the well not just the, the not just of... the u.s it's it's all, i mean look at europe with with the refugee crisis what type of exactly po- political um uh response we're, we're seeing there so this is not just limited to north america it, it yeah. is it is as yeah. you said it's political oh, even in nigeria yeah. in nigeria and africa because it, it's it's just something that i've always thought like what if there were more of us focused on telling these stories and showing actually just open people's eyes to like oh this is how the world is this is how someone else is this is not something I can group into someone yeah. and that's just been the, the thing that I've been committed to you know in whatever way I do it you know people can do it through other forms for me I th- felt like my personality as a talker and someone that likes to to be among people it was through uh, a media landscape and it was, re- it was really identifying my gift and finding the right vehicle so the vehicles you have right now is it's the book The Ultimate Guide to TCK Living you can find that on Amazon and I'm sure on other uh, online vending platforms as well at least that's what I'm assuming you'll find the link to yeah, the it's on, book yeah. you'll, you'll find the link to the book in the show notes um, the book was released when uh, last year what was that last year oh I think it was 2004 I, it, I really it was just a guide I, it was a pseudobiography and what I've learned from being a TCK, but it, that came out like 2014, I believe. Okay. Uh, the has podcast it, has is, it been doing well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, I get uh, a lot. <laughs> I just got an email saying um, I got some sales from it as well. But for me, I think my favorite thing to do is actually the podcast, <laughs> which is funny because that was always what launched everything for me. Um, and I think it's 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 bringing together inspirational minds and from different parts of the world to to just talk. And like we're doing right now, having a conversation for me, it I don't think anything beats it. I love interviewing, I love talking, and the engagement I've gotten from the listeners has been second to none. I, I remember the first time I really started, there was um, a lady um, who's you know a few years, we'll just say she's a few years older than me, but <laughs> she 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 was um, she was she, I know she was of Asian descent, she was married to a black guy, and she she really broke down. She she wrote me, I believe like a page and a half letter detailing how she related to a lot of the stories from some of the first interviews because she didn't realize that she was she was not alone and she had been living in a family that didn't accept like you know black um you know it's just because the cultures didn't mix and she felt like there was no one else she could talk to and listen to other people go through that was was um common for her and that really helped her out but that that's exactly why i do it just to, to show that 
to show people that it's okay to be themselves. They can be brave enough to do that, but to also educate other people in the world. I've also gotten emails from people who say, I never knew what a TCK was, or I never knew that that that, that happened in Vietnam. I never knew that business was like that in that country. But that's the whole point, right? You know, Kristen, it's just to open people's minds to realize, oh, that's a possibility. Yeah. That's just what it's for. So that's why I love the podcast personally the most. <laughs> so so, so for, for those of you who are not familiar with it yet, it's called As Told by Nomads. It's available on iTunes and I'm sure on the other um, podcast registries as well. You've done, well, quite a few episodes already. How long have you been doing that podcast? Almost uh, almost two years. It's I think I the 160th episode is coming out um, on Monday, I believe, or, or Tuesday. So... Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> good, good. So we, we will have links to all of that on, on the show notes. So for those of you who want to connect with Tayo on all these outlets, we'll, we'll make it easy for you to find it. Um, and, of course, you mentioned soccer at some point. I have to ask you because Nigerian soccer is strong, probably one of the strongest national teams in Africa. Mm -hmm. um, what's, your, what's your club team now? Are you supporting MLS teams? Are you following oh, no, European no. or South American soccer? What is it? I, I'm a premiership guy all along since I was 9, 10. I've been a Manchester United fan. We've had a horrible season. Really? Yes, Manchester United. I am true and true red. All <laughs> right. Red <laughs> yeah, we've not had a good season. We haven't had it. Ever since Ferguson left, it's been all downhill, and it feels like each coach we get is just worse than the other. Mm. Uh, but I did read that we might get Mourinho uh, that's today so, this morning. So, so the talk is right, right. Well, we'll we'll see about that. <laughs> well, oh, wait, wait, wait. What what is your team? <laughs> oh, my my team is FC Bayern Munich, and um, oh. so I have a, a, a very very small soft spot for Menu since since Schweinsteiger is playing for Menu. Uh, I think he's more warming the bench than playing. However, that that's the my, my <laughs> the the little piece of respect that I can garner from any. Other than that, oh. we won't become friends on that end, I guess. Uh, hey, you know one thing I would just remind you of? 1999. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, and it is a painful memory, and we <laughs> we relinquish ourselves. So those of you who don't follow football, or as the Americans call it, soccer. 1999 was a very bad year for my team because Tayo's team beat us in the 92nd minute. Um, yep. Which yep. is a good <laughs> reminder to never give up because it ain't over till the fat lady sings, or as it's called in soccer, it ain't over till the referee blows the final whistle. So, um, and I don't, I don't want this to go off into too much of a soccer talk, but this is just to explain because I find this uh, very entertaining both from a, an athletic fandom perspective, but also from a cross-cultural perspective. I've been using um, football slash soccer as metaphors for explaining different behaviors, different managerial styles, different types of leadership and organizational structure for, for years. And so that, that can be used as, 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 a, as an actual tool in, in training and coaching. And it is also fascinating oh, yes. how how... Um, the fandom of people um, despite all the similarities they may have, they may share a language, they may share a geographical origin however when it comes to being a fan of a certain athletic team or a, a, an individual athlete um, there are uh, all of a sudden 
everything that's different is more important. It, it's fascinating how, how sport can be both unifying and separating at the same time. I'll share one last story with you, and it has to do with sports. And, okay. and when, I w when I first moved from Nigeria to Burkina Faso, this was the first real cognizant move that I, I, I really felt. You know, I, I had moved to Sweden before. That's when my younger brother was born, but I was like one. Um, so I was 10, 11, and I, I was going from an all-Nigerian system, still had the very strong Nigerian accent, mm -hmm. and I, I was going to an American international school in a French-speaking country. Mm -hmm. So I thought, yeah travel and then i was like cool america everybody thinks america is great mm -hmm. so i remember going there the first few weeks i couldn't make friends i felt alone and my mom would see me crying she'd be like it's okay it's all good but i, I just i felt inferior i felt like i couldn't make any friends so and the only sport that i knew then was football soccer so i just started looking around and, and saying I'm very passionate about sports, you know, so why don't I figure out a way to get sports to community across these cultures? So I looked at and I saw basketball or something that was really popular. Basketball is now my favorite sport, by the way. And I went to the library and I picked up every single book on basketball. I studied the history. I knew everything from why it was how he from, you know, Dr. Naismith, how he invented it to all the greats. And then I picked up all the magazines uh, at the time to know who the current players were. So I wanted to educate myself on the knowledge. So when I felt like I knew every practical thing about the sport, I went to the best basketball player on campus and I said, hey, would you, uh, I know everything there is to know about basketball. Can you show me how to actually play it? Mm -hmm. And then he agreed, right? So, and then the one-on-ones became two-on-twos and three-on-threes and five-on-fives. And that's how I started to build. I did that same thing with tennis. And all of a sudden I was able to connect. And like you said, sports unified in that instance, unified uh, me with with people from Holland, from Netherlands, I should say, from ne Netherlands in uh, you know Germany, you know the, uh, UAE, and I was like, wow, this is something that I, I um, I'm going to start doing more and more. And ever since then, sports has been one of the ways that I used to. Uh, it's been one of my connectors. Nice. So it's interesting that you said that. Yeah. Now I also have to ask you this: coming from Nigeria, um, what what's your what's your favorite type of music? Oh, I, I'm a, I have an eclectic taste. I love I love Afrobeats, which is I love so, what's played there. I so, love, uh, James Brown or Fila Kuti? Oh, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> my dad is <laughs> we're my dad going is the there. Like guy, but that's the Fila guy. I'm not, you know, I like some of his stuff, but that's my dad. That's like my dad's favorite. I'm more of the newer guys. They're they're I don't know if you know them, but they're called like Wiz Kid and Davido. But I listen to a lot of music. I mean, I would I listen to everything from Justin Timberlake to uh, you know like soft rock to but a lot of hip hop and R&B is where I usually stay at and then some pop um, but Nigerian music is just infectious it's hard to explain over a podcast it's one of the yes. things that you listen to and you find yourself just moving and a, a different part of your body you're just like why is this part moving he's like eh. and you're just going you're making all this dance with if you ever see Nigerian soccer players playing a score goal you see them walking in a funny way and just dancing yes. it's just like it's just a it's a groove <laughs> well, wh why don't I end this episode with uh, with a Fela Kuti song then I hope the the rights owners at I guess that's Universal Music won't sue me for that we'll, we'll just try it <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out <laughs> so, it was amazing Th thank you for, for sharing your stories with us and I hope to have you on soon because I have a feeling there there is there are many more uh, instructive stories 
in your life and in your experience as a TCK. Um, as I said, you'll find the links to the book, to the podcast, to his blog, to UID Media and everything that Tayo is doing in the show notes, so make sure you check it out. Tayo, um, thanks again for taking time. Last quick question or parting words from you. The one big nugget that you would give to people who are crossing cultures for the first time, what is it that they need to pay attention to? I think um, <laughs> I think the one thing that anyone who is crossing cultures for the first time needs to do is basically open your mind. I think going to a country with preconceived notions is uh, is one of the most dangerous things because it does build up those walls that we talked about earlier. I think having that open mind while still being guarded is a balance that one should work on. So feel free to have conversations with the cab drivers there. Feel free to have conversations with the local uh, people at the groceries. That's one of the best ways I feel like you understand a culture. And I always encourage people traveling to think and try to position themselves more as a native as opposed to being a tourist because then you don't learn anything. Nice. You don't learn much, rather. Yeah. Nice. So there you go. Thanks so much. You have a wonderful um, and successful time in New York. And, well, I'll, I'll talk to you again on the Culture Guy podcast soon. And all of you out there, listen to As Told by Nomads. Find it on iTunes. Thanks, Tayo. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Tayo Roxon from New York City, from Nigeria from Burkina Faso, from Vietnam, from Sweden, from, well, from all over the place. And the beats that you're hearing here are the Afro beats that Taya was referring to. That song is called Shakara by Fela Kuti a national hero in Nigeria, a activist against dictatorship, and a musician that saw millions come to his funeral. He is a national treasure of Nigeria, and so is his music. So go check out the show notes to find Tayo's Twitter handle, his LinkedIn, all the links that we talked about to his book, to his podcast program. Check him out. He is quite the active TCK third culture kid, a young man with a mission. And I like the advice that he gives that interact with the locals when you go abroad. I think nobody said it better than, well, well, Tayo said it brilliantly, and who also said it very brilliantly not too long ago was a gentleman that I mentioned before in this program, Anthony Bourdain, who we're still working on to get on this program. Anthony, if you're listening, you're up next too. And he said, if you're going abroad, don't go drinking in the hotel that you're staying at. Go drink where the people who work in the hotel go to drink. Do it with the locals. Full immersion. And we'll also talk about full immersion on some of our next episodes. In the meantime, check out our website, theculturemastery.com forward slash blog, where you find 
all our blog articles and information on the other podcast episodes we've done so far. Go on Facebook to find me on The Culture Guy. And of course, there's a Facebook page for the company, The Culture Mastery. Find me on Twitter at Hufale. I'm not going to spell it to you. You'll find it in the show notes. And of course, we have a Twitter handle for the company as well. It's called at Culture Mastery. And also keep in mind that this fall, at least fall in the Northern Hemisphere, there will be the CETAR USA Congress in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you haven't registered yet, now would be a good time. With that, I'm saying not goodbye, but until we hear each other again on the Culture Guy podcast, this is the first episode of June 2016. Stay tuned for the next one.